Welcome to Legal Management Talks, official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Christina Vragovich. In today's episode, we welcome Dustin Cole, who has provided management and marketing consulting services for more than 30 law firms. Dustin will be discussing seven ways law firms lose money at ALA's upcoming Human Resources Conference for Legal Professionals, February 18th through 20th in Orlando, Florida. And he's here today to give us a little preview of his conference session. Welcome to the podcast, Dustin. I'm glad to be here. Good to talk to you, Christina. So before we begin, tell us a little bit about your background, expertise, and current line of work. Well, uh, first of all, I have to say it's not 30 law firms, it's 3,000 law firms. I've been doing this for almost, uh, yes, Uh, and that includes large firms, small firms, sole practitioners. Um, I've been doing uh, uh, CLA programs, uh, continually legal education programs for bar associations. Probably, I haven't quite counted, but perhaps more than 40 of the nation's state, local, uh, especially bar associations, uh, over la- the last 20 years. And so in that process, I've not only worked with individual firms, but I've worked uh, and trained in CLA programs, someplace upwards of fifteen to 20,000 uh, attorneys in CLA programs. So uh, I come into this from a pretty practical point of view. I had a PR and marketing firm and worked with law firms and realized that doing their PR and marketing really wasn't teaching them anything. It was simply being the outsource. So I began a program of helping uh, attorneys learn how to market themselves without having to hire someone like me, uh, and very quickly discovered, and this is sort of the the source of this entire program, that one of the biggest obstacles for lawyers in their marketing was the excuse of I don't have the time, which really led to my realization that most attorneys run very disorganized, inefficient uh, practices, which is you know part of the core issue. If an attorney wants to be truly successful and grow their practice, they have to learn how to run it in a much more efficient and logical way. In effect, they have to learn business skills and, and realize that they, they have a small business. So in your session, you refer to something called Lone Ranger Syndrome. What is this phenomenon, and how does it affect today's firms? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because it's really at the (laughs) core of most everything. Uh, In law school, uh, attorneys are taught a couple of things which are very damaging to their careers. Number one is that um, their job is to do great legal work and that they better darn well get it right Uh, So that creates a real perfectionist and sort of control freak mentality. Uh, They also uh, miss the point that sometimes what the client wants is a result and not just the finest legal work. So attorneys come out of law school as, as pure technicians taught to do great legal work, but with literally no skills in managing a business, uh, managing people, uh, and uh, they're all about the process rather than the result. So as a result, what happens is attorneys uh, uh usually don't like to work with other people because they just don't do the work the way I would want it to. And by the way, I can do all of it. Why should I use someone else? 
And so they get caught in this trap of, and this is, by the way, one of the reasons that this profession has the highest rate of alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, uh, all of these issues around impairment, because what happens in law school and what happens in those early years is they lose all sense of personal boundaries. If I have more work, I just work longer. There's no issue of how do I evolve this so that I can continue to grow the practice. So it comes from this core belief that I'm smarter than everybody, I do better work than everybody, and I'm just going to do it myself. It's a combination of those teachings and the fact that they really have no conception of their practice as a legal business and how to use team, how to use other people to leverage their work. And I have to say, to some extent, there's also an element of greed. Why should I give it to somebody else to do and have them bill it when I can go ahead and do it and bill it at my rate, even if it's paralegal or legal assistant level work? So there's there's a lot of pulls to do this all myself, and that's the Lone Ranger syndrome. So what is the scope of this problem? How much revenue, on average, do law firms lose per year as a result of this kind of behavior? Well, I, I have to kind of give a little bit of background to have have uh, to fully explain that. Uh, the lawyer sure. who is the Lone Ranger, the technician, the person who is trying to do everything, essentially finds themselves working way past anybody's normal capacity. This is why lawyers work 60, 70, 80 hours a week typically. Um, and as a result, they don't have time to market, and they couldn't handle any more work anyway. So what happens is attorneys hit an effective revenue ceiling based on how hard they're willing to work. Oh, and by the way, an interesting factor of that is a uh, young attorney at 30 can work 80 hours, but when they hit 50 or 55, they simply can't work that number of hours. And very often at that point, the lone rangers of the profession, their revenues begin to decline because they just can't put the number of hours in. But what I do when I help them restructure is I give them some skills and some tools in how to create a team, how to delegate effectively, and how to use that team effectively so that they can focus on the most important things that they can do in their practices. And that is, it's funny, I have a lot of fun in my seminars. Uh, I'll often at the beginning of a seminar ask my, uh, my uh, attendees, what's the single most important thing that you do in your practice? And they'll say, oh, deliver great legal work, take good care of clients. And I said, no, the single most important thing you do in your practice is make sure you have clients to, to serve. That practice, its primary purpose is to take good care of its owner so that that owner is in a health and mental position to deliver great services. So attorneys typically vastly overwork themselves, end up with a lot of physical, mental uh, impairments, addictions, and so forth, trying to, trying to deal with this overwork. And as a result, they arrive at a ceiling when their potential may be to increase their revenues dramatically, but in order to do that, they have to increase their capacity, and that 
literally means that they have to rethink how the practice works. So uh, I believe that an attorney with reasonable marketing skills can double or triple their revenues. And by that, I mean the total revenues of their team, at, at least to that ex extent. And the average firm could grow their revenues and their client base by 50% to 100% if the firm's best marketers were supported in moving more work faster, having better leverage, more leverage, and so that they could spend more time doing their single most important job, and that is to bring in business to the firm. Now, parenthetically, I have to say, and and the folks that I'm going to be speaking to, the HR professionals, I'm sure understand this, uh, my experience is that the trend over the last few years of of trimming down on support staff is exactly the wrong thing to do. You know, um, you know. Uh, you simply can't do all the work themselves. Well, people say, well, you know, everybody uses technology so they don't need support as much. Well, it's just another way to limit, to create a ceiling. Sure, I can be more efficient with technology, but all that does is raise that revenue ceiling just a little bit. So what I do, and in fact, I think that in firms, part of the reason for cutting down on team is that attorneys don't use them well. They're underutilized. And so rather than teaching attorneys how to utilize their team more effectively so they can expand their capacities, they simply say, well, they're not using them so that they eliminate them. It's false economy. It literally holds attorneys and firms back from growth when attorneys don't have the skills to manage teams, to delegate effectively, to to um, increase their capacity. You know, one of the favorite stories that I tell is um, most everybody has seen in their towns uh, the big trucks driving around that says, two men in a truck. Well, that literally started in California. A couple of college guys were looking for some extra income, so they bought an old truck and they thought they could make some money moving people in and out of apartments and dorms and things of that sort, and indeed they did. They were literally overwhelmed with business. So they had a choice of taking a little step, and they hired somebody else in another truck, and that worked pretty well, but very quickly they saw that they were out of capacity. They literally had to rethink their business model. They had to say, wait a minute, there's more potential than we can grab here. How do we rethink the model? And what they did is they blueprinted it so that they could recreate their experience in an efficient way. And they ended up managing a franchise that now numbers over 800 franchisees. And it's because they started out doing work and ended up managing the business that does the work. Michael Gerber in his book, The E-Myth Lawyer, E-Myth Attorney, says that if nothing happens when you're not in your practice, then you don't have a practice. You have a job. And that severely limits how much an attorney can grow. So bottom line is effective team building, effective management should increase an attorney's and a firm's revenues by anywhere from 50 to 250%. Because very often, frankly, very often there are attorneys who may not even be the greatest attorneys, but they're great marketers. 
And so they have the ability to lead a team to fill a firm with effective business and not necessarily feel like they have to crank every bit of the business. So rethinking the model is a pretty big change. In a general sense, since I know you'll be going into more detail in your session in February, what kind of change has to happen for firms to start to turn this around? What is that first step? Well, there are two things that are going on. The traditional lawyers who are the traditional technicians uh, are still very often clinging to the old model. This is the way we've always done it, and it works, although it's working less and less these days. And younger attorneys who believe, I don't really need anybody else. I've got technology. First of all, we have to teach effective practice and effective firm management. We have to have people understand that it's not just going in there and doing legal work. It's actually a bigger picture than that. So we have to begin to teach a broader model. And one of the core issues here is teaching delegation, effective delegation, because part of the reason that the Lone Ranger doesn't doesn't give work to other people is, you know, they always screw it up. They never get it right. I have to go back and redo it. Well, that's a pure issue of effective delegation. How do I delegate it effectively so that the work comes back in the right format, in the right way, at the right quality level? And the other part is hiring the right people. Again, that's a management skill. It has nothing to do with being a lawyer. It's purely management. How do you hire highly competent, motivated people? So there there are lots of ways that the, that revenue can fall through the cracks. And here are some of the warning signs that, that people can look for. First of all, is any attorney's work falling behind schedule? Do they have unhappy clients? Do they have piles of files all over their office? Are they perpetually in a state of semi-panic trying to get everything done. This dramatically damages not only client satisfaction, but cash flow. It it damages client long-term client relations. Um, the next thing that you can look at is, does any attorney resist using support team, paralegals, associates, legal assistants? Are they trapped in the, uh, you know, I know how to do this best, I will do it myself. Those people need to be able to learn some basic skills and understand that because they delegate it, it doesn't mean that they give the work away. I often make the distinction in my seminars between delegation and dumping. It's when things are dumped that they come back incorrect or or have the wrong ideas or things of that sort. When they're effectively delegated, and there's a process for that, uh, work can expand. So the other issue is, does any attorney have high assistant turnover or an assistant who's underutilized? This is a lone ranger. One of the other words for that in firms is a hoarder. This attorney doesn't give any work away. Uh, the next thing is, do you find attorneys doing work that's out of their practice specialty area? Do you have a litigator doing estate plans or a, or a, a estate planner doing family law? 
This is the greed factor. This is the hoarding factor. And that needs to be a principle in a firm that defines what types of work that people can do and what needs to be referred to others. Um, does the firm have enough support resources in terms of paralegals, ex experienced legal assistants, associates, so that they can be available for delegation and support? Uh, there's sort of a, a vicious cycle here. Someone who may want to delegate um, but doesn't have the resources to delegate it to learns just to rely on themselves, and they develop the habits of the Lone Ranger. So there needs to be good, competent support available uh, for the attorneys who are ready to delegate. One of the other warning signs is do, do attorneys consistently turn in their hours late or write them up all at once just before they're due? Uh, I have a particular problem with this because the attorney who writes all their hours up at the last minute, is essentially lying to their client. There's an eth ethics issue for me because you can't really do it accurately unless you're doing it concurrently or reasonably close to the actual action. When hours are reconstructed at the end of the, of the month, they're essentially writing fiction. Their best guess, and that's not accurate, and that, in my, in my mind, isn't ethical. Is there anything else? You've, you've talked about these warning signs. Is there anything you'd like conference attendees to consider before attending your session? Other small behaviors to notice at their own firms or observations to bring with them? Well, in, in the short term, um, the key danger sign is when we have attorneys and particular leaders in firms who say, you know, we've always done it this way. Uh, those are the people who are going to be threatening the future of the practice or the firm. Um, uh, who we want to look for are attorneys who are leaders or our future leaders who are always looking to do things in a better way, more efficient. They're curious about how we can evolve. Um, there's, there's a great deal that's going on in the profession that's very, very unsettling today. It's undergoing cataclysmic changes. And firms that are typically too busy to aggressively expand or maintain their market position are, as Hamlet so aptly put it, on the road to dusty death. The firms that are not evolving, that are not actively looking for ways to be more efficient and to maintain their market position or grow in the face of competition are going to be squeezed out of the market. Those are the firms that are going to be by the roadside as the firm moves forward. And as a result, firms have to begin to think about innovating ways that they can operate more efficiently, more quickly, more cheaply, uh, and not just make little tiny incremental changes that really don't make that much difference. Um, attorneys have to be willing to be entrepreneurs. And that's very against the nature of the profession. The entire legal profession is sort of founded on precedent, and that's why attorneys tend to get stuck in, we've always done it that way. But the fact is that every attorney is an entrepreneur with their own business, whether they're a sole practitioner, whether they're a 
marketing director or managing partner or whether they're just in a firm. Everybody's in charge of their own careers and their own futures. And if they want that to be successful, they have to look at it as an entrepreneur, saying, what is it going to take for me to be successful in the future? And I'll tell, I'll say something very, very harsh that attorneys object to in my, my seminars. It's not about doing quality work. Yes, quality work has to be done, but there are better ways to achieve it than simply slaving away 80 hours a week trying to do it themselves. So they have to be entrepreneurs. They have to be willing to take some risks, try new ideas and new directions. And they, and this, I think, is one of the key areas that holds firms back, that they have to be willing to invest some real dollars in change. I see firms over and over again that literally drain the cash flow every month, every quarter, every year, and leave nothing for expansion, for for growth. It's all about taking the cash out. Um, and they ha- simply have to be willing to think a little bit differently about how law firms work. They're a business that's competing in an increasingly competitive marketplace. It's not just a room full of technicians whose purpose is to crank out legal documents. Increasingly, there are all sorts of alternatives to get basic legal documents. That's not going to create a successful law firm. People are thinking about where the profession is going, what clients want, how to be more efficient, and how we get there. Those are the firms of the future. The others are the firms of the past. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much to our guest, Dustin Cole. And again, you can catch his session and many more at ALA's Human Resources Conference for Legal Professionals. Visit alanet.org slash HR for more details. That's alanet.org slash HR. And thank you to our listeners and subscribers out there. Don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes to help spread the word. And for more information about any of ALA's education, events, and member services, please visit alanet.org. That's alanet.org. Until next time.